Amen. Please remain standing and hear the words uh, of our Lord from Psalm 56. We'll be going through this morning. Please give your attention to the reading of the psalm. This is the word of God. Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up, fighting all day he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me almost high. Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? All day they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together. They hide. They mark my steps. When they lie and wait for my life, shall they escape by iniquity? and anger, cast down the peoples, O God. You number my wanderings, put my tears into your, into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know, because God is for me. In God I will praise his word. In the Lord I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling? that I may walk before God in the light of the living. These are the words of God. Let's ask his blessing upon it. Holy Father, your word is light and life for your people. And so we give it much honor as we open it, read it, sing it, meditate on it, and seek to apply it. We do so by faith that your spirit would take this word and fill our hearts and minds with it. Mold and shape us, lead and guide us. Do so now, we pray, in the preaching of your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, we're continuing through the Psalms, uh, the, the Psalms of the 50s, not the 1950s. This is another Psalm dealing with David's early trials with Saul. We've, we've had several different Psalms that have dealt with these early times when Saul is seeking after David, after, it's, after, he, after David has now been anointed king and the spirit has departed from Saul, and this is another one. We're told this Psalm is inspired when David fled to Gath, the hometown of Goliath, as he was um, fleeing from Saul who was pursuing him, only to find then, as soon as he got to Gath, that he was in... Uh, his life was in peril with the Philistines. It almost seems obvious to us. He had just received um, Goliath's sword um, from the priest, and now he's running from Saul, and he ends up in Gath, thinking he can get away. And he comes into Gath, and as we're told in 1 Samuel chapter 21, it says, Then David arose and fled that day before Saul, and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? Now David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he finds himself with more troubles, more troubles and also, again, more fear. We've seen throughout these psalms as how David is dealing before God with his troubles and how he's telling God to take care of his troubles and how we should learn to pray to God to deal with our troubles. But this psalm particularly emphasizes what we are to do with our fears amidst the troubles. There are, there are really two parts that come with trials. There are the troubles... And sometimes the troubles are just imagined. Oftentimes, or sometimes, it's really the fear that is the real problem. And so in this situation, he is dealing with fear, real fear for real troubles, but fear nonetheless. 
Sometimes it is not the troubles themselves that are so disabling. Sometimes it is the fear that comes in the face of the troubles. Isn't that true? Fear is a powerful, powerful motivator. Um, and, and fear often keeps a person from acting in the most normal and rational manner. Often, fear causes a person to act totally irrationally with the problem or the trouble that is before them. A simple example that probably many of us fathers have seen, you're in the pool, and, you're, and you are, you're in, in the pool, is, the water is warm, and you're, and you're trying to instruct your child to jump into the water, into your arms. There is absolutely nothing that can go wrong. The, the child is about six inches away from you, and the, the water is fine, and you've already been bouncing around the water. He already knows that water is fine. And you say, go ahead, jump into my arms. And, and the fear keeps the child from moving at all, from, from doing that kind of thing. Well, how many times in our lives are we in that exact, we find ourselves actually in the exact kind of situation? The, 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 the thing that we need to do, including obeying God in, in some circumstances, is, is clear and right before us. And... Really, there's nothing that can go wrong, but we're afraid. We're afraid, and that fear keeps us from acting rationally. We also find the, the motivation of fear, how fear motivates us, is something that is well known by those who are in power, in positions of power. Whether in the family, the church, or the civil government, in any of those, in any of those spheres, we, um, we know that fear is a great manipulator and a tool for control. We saw it in, 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 in our government and just in the, in the recent, in, in the world, in, in the recent irrational COVID lockdowns. And, and just now, all the kinds of data is coming out in terms of what has occurred because of the fear that, that was put, placed into people in terms of dealing with, um, with the pandemic. The, the psalm singer is dealing with this kind of thing. He's dealing with how, how do we deal with the issue of handling fear? How do we deal with the issue of handling fear? Fear of, um, of, of true oppression or attack like David is, is, finds himself under? But fear also, uh, in fear of change, we're reminded in the corporate prayer time, we're about to enter into a, a new year, what things are going to change that are fearful for you. Fear of rejection, fear of death or illness, fear of persecutions or sufferings, fear, fear of embarrassment that, that causes you to refuse to step forward and, and do the things that God has called you to do. Well, what are we to do with this fear? And I think that the, 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 what comes from this psalm is that we fight fear with faith. We fight fear with faith. David sings here for mercy amidst the unrelenting fury of his oppressors. Look again at verse 1 and 2. Be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. And the end of verse 2 there actually um, could, could be translated and said, that my enemies, um, for they are many who fight against me from on high. It's not necessarily a cry to God, his title, but from on high, which is the way we sing the psalm when we sing Psalm 56, by the way, which we'll be singing later. By fleeing to Gath, David jumped out of the frying pan and into the fire. Trying to escape from Saul, he finds himself now before a king who has been told by um, his, uh, his advisors, David is a threat. David was just trying to run from Saul. 
But they twist the words of David, and, and David is a threat to them now, and, they, and they're saying, we need to take care of this. We need to take this man down. The details of that pursuit in 1 Samuel 21 by the, the king of, um, of, of Gath is, is very vague. We are not given many details. But this only makes these verses more generally applicable to us um, all in our situations. We can all cry out, be merciful to me, O God, for man or some circumstances are going to swallow me up. They, they never stop. They're coming at me all day. They, it, it encompasses me. I can't get it out of my mind. They, they, they hound me all day. And there are many of them who seem to be pressing at me. Many different circumstances, many, many different fearful things that are coming at me. George Horn, Puritan commentator, writes with regard to this passage, he says, the same words are applicable to the situation and circumstances of David pursued by his enemies. You could also apply them, he says, of, of Christ persecuted by the Jews. And we see, we can see the words of Christ in this as well. Or of the church afflicted in the world as we prayed for brothers and sisters in Tanzania, as we pray for our brothers that we know in the CREC in Ukraine. And then he writes also this, and of the soul encompassed by enemies against whom she is forced to wage perpetual war. And I so appreciate that. As we go into, um, as we go into another year, there, there are times where you think as the years go on, the same enemies that hound you, the same trials, the same temptations, the same weakness in your flesh, your particular battles. This, this is a cry to God about those enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil against whom we are forced to wage perpetual war in this time of our life, in this age, before we enter into eternity. So what does David say? In the midst of his fear, he says, whenever I am afraid, verse 3, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. You know, there's a simple little scripture song that our children would sing. Um, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. That little song um, is, is as important to the littlest, smallest child here as it is to the oldest one in the congregation. And what I really appreciate in, David, in the psalm, what David is saying is he is admitting he's afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid for my life. He's no stoic. He's no fatalist. He genuinely fears for his life, and it appears he has good reason, actually. But here's, here's the thing to deal with in terms of troubles and then fears. And what we do with our fears is what he's dealing with. Fear is an emotion in the midst of circumstances. Fear is an emotion in the midst of circumstances, real, imagined, in the, in the present, or the expected or anticipated future. Fear comes when there's a real trouble. Fear comes when there's an imagined trouble. Fear comes in a present situation. Fear often comes with anticipated future events that are just before me. Fear is an emotion. Faith or trust is a disciplined reflex of the will. Listen to the verse again. Whenever I am afraid, I will, I will trust in you. Fear is an emotion. Faith or trust is a disciplined reflex. What do you learn here? 
you learn that oftentimes the first event, the first emotion that comes, or when that emotion of fear first comes, you may not be able to do anything about that. That's just fear. And sometimes fear is a, an appropriate thing. It motivates you to run for your life from the guy that's about to try to kill you. Fear is, uh, can, can, can bring on the right kind of activity, but it needs to be disciplined. Fear is something that must always be analyzed and disciplined and used or set aside, put under submission to the will. So fear is an emotion, faith is a disciplined reflex of the will, and, and what David is doing is he's, he's crying out, I am afraid, he knows God cares, and then he says, I will trust in you, in God, I will praise his word, in God I have put my trust. So this kind of trust is not simply a belief in the theological doctrines about God, it does help, of course, to understand who God is, that he is all sovereign, that all things together work for good, that, and on and on and on you can come to understand. But it's another thing to trust him as a person that you are fleeing to, a person whose word has described who he is. This is, a, this is a determination that we are allowed to make, and by the Spirit we can make, in the face of fear. A personal turning to, turning to a God who uh, one finds to be a trustworthy source of protection and blessing. Faith is, not, faith is not, in its foundation, your ability to keep yourself steadfast, going in the right direction, Faith is trust in the faithfulness of God, not your faithfulness. Faith is trust in the faithfulness of God. Look, are you faithful? Not all the time. Is God faithful? Always and every time. Faith or trust, when I'm saying I'm placing my faith in God, it's even that faith we are told is a gift of God. What I'm saying, I'm placing my, trace, placing my faith in God. What I'm saying is I trust his faithfulness. I'm tired of trusting mine. And so by my will, I am going to trust him in the midst of the circumstances. That, that's the difference between just general faith that the world talks about, having faith, and understanding what it means to trust the faithfulness of God. Imagine David writing this psalm with Goliath's sword lying at his side. He's afraid. And then he remembers who God is and what God has done for him time and time again. He remembers how God so faithfully granted him the confidence in another fearful situation. Standing before the Goliath, all of the army of Israel refuses and is afraid. David walks out and says these words, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel." Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. He faces his trouble, and the fear goes away, not because he says, I can take you on, Goliath. Not at all. He says, I stand before you, because you defy the Lord. And he will not have that. And he has chosen me to come and take care of that. And he will, through his servant. 
And that's the way he fights his fear and stands with confidence, with courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is the decision by the will to obey God in the midst of the fear. And then, trusting God, he goes forward. In our day, we live in a world that refuses to discipline emotions. To discipline emotions in our world today is a sin. We're supposed to let people have their emotions. Children, just go ahead, express all of your emotions. To to do anything otherwise would be child abuse. And now we have have generations that have grown up who've never learned to discipline their emotions. we've We've begun to believe, we've become a culture that believes that how I feel, how I feel now defines my true identity. You see that? That's where this leads. Undisciplined emotions lead to a culture that determines however I feel is who I am. Right? It's a, it, that's a bag of lies. And it, and it ruins who you really are. When you let your emotions be untethered. When you let your fear be untethered. We find instead that we have become a culture, we are a nation that has lost our sanity and lost our humanity because of untethered emotions, because of fear. But David doesn't do this. He, he says, whenever, whenever I'm afraid, and right now, Lord, I am, I will trust in you. I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I, and then he says, I will not fear. So what happens with his fear? He, he, he turns to God and he wills to trust God. He remembers what his word says about him. He knows he, knows he can praise him. He gives praise to God and he says, I will not fear. Because what can flesh do to me? So he's remembering Goliath and he's saying, oh, if, if, if Goliath couldn't touch me outside of the will of God, why do I need to worry about this king? And it changes his ability to obey God, to walk and fight with faith. What do we learn? Discipline your emotions. Discipline your emotions. Don't deny your emotions. Don't stuff your emotions. Discipline them. Are they leading you to righteousness? Are they leading you to right thinking? Are they leading you to right actions? They need to be analyzed and determined. Or, when you are afraid... Do you understand, regardless of whether it's real or imagined, I'm going to trust God. And then the fear is going to go away. Because I realize who God is in these circumstances, in the circumstances that I find myself in. We are to praise God and we are to praise his word, which declares who he is, who we are, and how we are to live. And notice, this is not something you do after the fear goes away. It's something you do to drive the fear away. It's far, far, it's far too easy for us to say, I'm afraid right now. Well, you need to trust God. I can't. I'm afraid. No, you must trust God. Now, this should be yourself talking to yourself. Well, I'll trust God when I'm not afraid anymore. That's not going to work. No, now is the moment to trust God. Follow David. Calvin writes, it was, it was no small attainment in David that he could thus proceed to praise the Lord in the midst of dangers and with no other ground of support but the word of God. The thing that changed David from being afraid to resting confidently in God was only God. There was no change in the situation. 
There was no change in the circumstance. It was only God. And, and I believe God working in his heart so that he would turn and will to trust him in it. Okay, so, so we get to the end of verse 4. And, and it's as though David is honestly, being, honestly before God, I'm afraid. And I'm going to trust in you. And as I trust in you, by the way, let's go back to the circumstances, God. So now with the trust, he, begins, begin, he again talks about the circumstances. But it's going to change how he is now going to handle the circumstances. All of a sudden, David is not alone. He begins, all day they twist my words, all their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together, they hide, they mark my steps when they lie in wait for my life. <laughs> and so the enemies have not yet been put down. And so he continues. It's interesting, we see here in verse 5, twisting words out of context is not something that only began in the days of the internet. These enemies look to entangle David in his words. They gather together and conspire, they say. They hide and wait for just the right moment to spring upon their victim. When he says just the right thing or takes just the right actions that they can rip out of context and use against him. They take the words of, of the fact that David had slain the tens of thousands and say, see, he's coming here to destroy us. That, that may have been what was going on. It's another conspiracy so they can turn the people of Gath against David, which wasn't his intention at all. He's looking for a place to hide. So they gather together and they conspire and, and they're twisting his words. You know, you can always find in the Psalms the words of Jesus as well or the life of Jesus as well. Psalms are to be sung. Psalms are to be sung remembering the, the situation that they were written in, if that's given to us. Remembering that these are the songs of Christ. These are the songs of the Spirit. And these spiritual songs we sing as the body of Christ about Jesus. Luke eleven fifty three, 53. And as he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him and seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. Luke 20. So they watched Jesus and sent spies who pretended to be righteous that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor. This man said that he's going to destroy the temple they would use against him in, in, in the uh, accusations before his crucifixion. No, Jesus had said, destroy this body, and in three days it will rise again. Oh, twist those words and use them against him. And so we see the words of Jesus in the psalm as well. So we see the words of David, you see the words of Jesus, and then you are to see your own situation or the situation of the world around you. Um, both corporately as the church, in, its, in the persecutions it's undergoing, and then in your own situation. There's such value in learning to meditate and sing and apply the Psalms. They are of eternal use for us, innumerable use for us. And so, this is the same story, as I said, is with Jesus, as it is always when there are disreputable power seekers and malicious men. David then argues to God with a rhetorical question um, and a request in accordance with God's character that he's been reflecting on. Verse 7, shall they escape by iniquity? That's his rhetorical question. But he's turning to God. Do you see what's going on? Are they going get, to get away with this? Are they going to get away escaping by their iniquity? In anger, he cries out, cast down the peoples, O God. 
So what comes from a faithful meditation on the character of God is confident and powerful prayer. We go from David who's crying out, be merciful to me, oh God, I am afraid, to, David, to a David who is praying, are you going to let this, you're not going to let this, you're not going to let them get away with this, are you God? I know who you are. I know that you bring just judgment. And so cast them down in your anger. Save the righteous. Be merciful to us. And so we have instead this confident and powerful prayer. And then, now David reflects on that character, that character that, that has caused him to realize how he can turn to God in the midst of his fear, his, his fear. How does God think upon his chosen ones? Verse 8. You number my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? You number my wander, wanderings. In Matthew, Jesus says that God knows every hair on your head. And, and the point isn't that he's really good at math. The point is that he cares for every little detail in your life. He numbers each one of your wanderings. That is, each one of your trials. You've been set on, you're set on a particular path, and now you find yourself wandering. That's the idea. You, you're in the midst of a trial now. There's a trouble. And, and we're told that God numbers them. He knows each and every one. Not only are we told in the book of Revelation that one day he will wipe away every tear, we're told here in this psalm that he is carefully counting each one. Spurgeon writes, as men count their gold, for even the trial of our faith is precious in his sight. The Lord collects each one of your tears, each one of your concerns, each one of each amount of your wailing. And he collects them, he counts them, he numbers them, he puts them in a bottle. Spurgeon goes on and then goes off into praise as he, as he thinks about this. How condescending is the Lord? How exact his knowledge of us? How generous his estimation? How tender his regard? Sometimes you feel alone. Like nobody else understands your trial, your temptation. Sometimes you can't tell anyone of your temptation or your trial. And the tears come out. And what this psalm will teach you, what you are to learn, Christian, is that God knows, and he knows better than you know, all that you're going through. He's counted your tears. You've forgotten some of them, many of them, most of them. He hasn't. He's numbered your wanderings. He knows which wandering this is in your life right now. <laughs> There's been so many, you think, I, I have no idea what number this one is. God has them all cataloged. That's what David, so, so this is what is giving David that kind of confidence when his life is in danger. This is, what gives, this is what gives him the ability to be done with his fear and to stand in courage and obey God. Again, Spurgeon says, um, after, well, verse 9, when I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. And Spurgeon says, the machinery of prayer is not always visible, but it is most efficient. Who will restrain prayer when it is so potent? Who will stop, who, who will stop praying who believes in the potency of prayer? What causes you, honestly, what causes you to persist in prayer? It is only when you believe in, in, in God's, 
in God's knowledge of you, in God's knowledge of your wanderings, and in the potency of prayer. Prayer changes things. And so with that confidence in who God is, the psalm singer knows God and knows God will answer his prayers. And Calvin, who had his share of woes, trials, and great enemies, he also commented on this verse, though God might make no haste to interpose, that is, though oftentimes the answers seem to come much slower than you would like, that's what he means, so though God might make no haste to interpose and might not scatter his enemies at the very instant when he prayed, he was confident that his prayers would not be disappointed, and his ground for believing this was just a conviction of the truth that God never frustrates the prayers of his own children. That's what Calvin learned in the midst of his trials as he reflected and meditated on Psalm 56. And that's the verse where it says, This I know because God is for me. So see to it that we learn to meditate on God's word and sing like David and like Jesus, for these are his songs. This is how we kill fear. This is how we kill anxiety. This is how we kill worry and doubt. Look, you, you, get, you become afraid, don't you? You get anxious, don't you? You worry, don't you? You doubt, don't you? David is teaching us how to kill it, how to kill those things. David is so sure that God is for him that then he sings this reprise again, verse 10 and 11. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And Paul picks up on this. Writer of Hebrews um, says, so we may boldly say and quotes this, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And of course, that powerful portion of Romans chapter 8, talking about the, the, the great work of God in his people, 831, what then shall we say to these things if God is for us? And he'll quote, basically, Psalm 56, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And it goes on. Maybe that should be the prayer. Maybe that should be the meditation. Maybe that should be the verse that goes into everybody's New Year's. No matter what comes, what then shall we say? If God's for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Franklin Roosevelt is famous for having said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself, which I don't think is quite right. It might be better said, we must fear nothing but God himself. In Luke's gospel, Jesus says, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. And so there is a fear that we are to carry with us. It is a fear of God, a fear of his omniscient abilities, his inseparability from his perfect determined will and a fear that drives us to his love for his people. 
Because ultimately, take what Jesus says about fearing God, and the God that you are fearing is the one Paul is writing about who says, and if he's giving you his son, what good thing will he ever withhold from you? And that should cause deep fear, awe, reverence, and great love and thankfulness. What kills fear? Napoleon, we are told, once said that he would rather meet 10,000 well-generaled and well-provisioned men than one Calvinist who thought he was doing the will of God. Because when we believe that God is that sovereign, when we believe that God's will is going to be good and will glorify his name, we'll stand before the Goliath, not because we think we can kill him, but because we know God will. Because we know God is that good and that great. And so finally, verse 12 and 13, we go from fear to faith to unbridled praise. Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. I don't think he's saying, well, now I owe you. <laughs> I think he's saying, this trust that you have given me in you is, has bound me to do nothing but give you praise, unending praise, in the midst of circumstances that haven't been resolved yet, because I trust in you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Have you, kept, have you not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? And there's nothing better than that. Nothing better than that. When God gets a hold of you in this way, this kind of faith overflows into praise, binding vows of thanksgiving offerings upon our hearts. We become a people who cannot wait to join with the saints this day, each Lord's day, over and over again, to give God the praise due his name. I need people with me to sing praises with God because it needs to be loud and boisterous because he deserves it. Because look at the trust that he has given us in him in the midst of this life that leads us into eternity. The psalmist says that God has delivered our soul from death, and this is true for every single Christian. Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Because it changes everything. It changes the way you see every, everything else in life. And it redirects you, Christians, me, when over and over again, we fall into fear, we fall into worry, we fall into doubt, we think we're never going to change with this particular problem in our life or this particular temptation. And Jesus says, do you believe? Do you believe? And in the hearing of the gospel, God grants faith, that kind of faith. That's not... That's not a, a warm, warm, sentimental feeling inside your heart towards God. It is a turning away from your faith in yourself, faith in your own faithfulness, and instead turning to the faithfulness of the one who will not lose you, who will not lose you. There remains then no lasting sting, even in death. And all of us will experience death. J Jesus said... Jesus said that uh, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And that is because in Christ, there's no sting in death. 
There's only a passing into eternity. There's only a, a final coming face to face with the Lord and Savior that you love. Paul writes, so when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? He's saying, I don't care if I die. In Philippians, he says, I, I'm not sure which is better for me to just go and be with Christ or, or to hang with you. For to me to live as Christ and to die, it's even better. It's gain. What is, what is Paul saying? What is David saying? What is Jesus saying? What, he, what he's saying is you can't lose. Do you see that? You can't lose. It's only going to get better and better and better for an eternity, further up and further in. More joy, more peace, more fellowship with God, more fellowship with the saints of God, forever and ever. Amen. That, that's, what, that's where it goes. And all of the trials, all the difficulties, all the stuff we're going through right now is all preparation for the real game. For the real game. That's what he's doing. We're privileged to have a taste of this in little deliverances, but we're not getting the final deliverance here. We get little deliverances, little tastes. He gives us now, and in the grace he gives, we always, he, he gives always the ability to persevere in troubles without fear. Paul, whose life was threatened over and over again, and, and was under all kinds of different oppressions and difficulties, writes, when he asks God to take away the affliction, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul, understanding this, understanding this psalm, understanding Christ, says, therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He's almost saying, I like them. I, I like the infirmities. I boast in them that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This all happens and only happens by means of looking to Christ. We are to praise God's word, and Jesus is that word. Christ is our promise for him, for in him death has been put to death. Christ is our grace for, and I write, take this very, very personally, each one of you, for he cares for you. He is for you. When I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise. 2024, is it going to be a tumultuous year? Sure, a lot of people saying so. Let our witness, let our witness be as a people who will not fear, have no need to fear, who trust in our sovereign and good God amidst whatever trials come our way. Let's pray together. Father, the promises of your mercy and grace for those who seek you are deep and immense, as deep as your love for your people. Grant faith, trust, and hope to those who cry out for it now, and cause all here this morning to cry out for you and all that you promise, and do so to the glory of your name, for we ask it in Jesus' name, our Prince of Peace, and amen. I think we should sing this. Would you please stand?